Hi, this is Steve. John and I always want our recordings to sound fresh and spontaneous, so we never discuss what we're going to say before we're actually on the mic saying it. So when I asked John how he came to a film, or his feelings about a movie, filmmaker, or story, nine times out of ten, I have no idea what his answer is going to be. And neither of us know what preparation, research, or analysis the other has done on a movie before we sit down to record. In the case of Braveheart, John and I independently felt it was important to explore the real history of William Wallace and Robert the Bruce. This despite the fact that both of us absolutely love this movie. And this, of course, is a real cinephile's question. How important is it that a film be accurate? There are, after all, dozens of great movies which manipulate or even abandon history entirely for dramatic effect. Argo, A Beautiful Mind, and The Sound of Music are just a few examples. And don't even get me started on JFK. Should you, as a real cinephile, try to learn the truth behind the movies you love? And perhaps more importantly, is it dangerous when this powerful medium misrepresents the lives of real people and real events? These are some of the questions John and I wrestle with as we continue our discussion of Braveheart this Friday on The Cinephiles. If I swear to him that all that I am is dead already. I will die, it will be awful. Every man dies. Not every man really lives. Welcome back to The Cinephiles for part two of our exploration of Braveheart. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, host, writer, and producer over there at Collider Video and the co-host of The Top Ten Show, now on its own iTunes feed. Uh, and let's get it. Part two, let's do this. We're last, jumping right in. I know. Last last we left, we just survived this Battle of Sterling that has no bridge in it, and yeah, uh, the, we are we are ready to jump and see what the result of this battle is. Well, and what the result is, is that William Wallace is going to be knighted. Yes. Uh, and declared the, the protector of Scotland, and all of his uh, lieutenants are also getting, you know, awards and medals and all this stuff, and it seems like this is going to go really well. I think yeah. the lords are behind William Wallace. Robert the Bruce is right there. It seems on board. I, I think we're good. Yeah, we're all set. Except, oh no, <laughs> that one of the lore they start asking, well, what's your politics? Right. And are you going to support this, whatever it is, and my claim to the this thing? And then someone else starts arguing. Right. And you remember what William Wallace does? He just walks out, <laughs> turns around, yep. and starts walking out. And they yep. go, where are you going? We have beaten the English, but they'll come back because you won't stand together. Well, what will you do? I will invade England. And everyone is like, this is impossible. You're insane. Which, to be clear, never kind of is. Well, he did invade England. He did invade England. He did definitely okay. invade England. I thought that's what you were leading. Just the border. No. <laughs> he did invade England, <laughs> but just really south of the border. He didn't He didn't go, like, the sacking York, yeah. never did it. Never yeah. happened. Well, and it is It is ridiculous. I mean, like, the 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 size of the English army, the idea that he was going to just destroy England, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. It's called hubris. Why? Why is that impossible? You're so concerned with squabbling for the scraps from Longshank's table that you've missed your God-given right to something better. There's a difference between us. You think the people of this country exist to provide you with position. 
I think your position exists to provide those people with freedom. What a novel concept, Steve. Yeah. That you're in service to the people, the people aren't in service to you. What an interesting and novel concept that I wish every politician in the world or every leader in the world truly believed. We might have a way better world if that was the truth. Well, it's funny. I mean, it's, it's one of the criticisms of this movie that I don't actually agree with. Yeah. Um, although it, it, it is a fair point is that this concept is ahead of his time. Nobody was thinking <laughs> this kind of thing. Right. Like this. All they're saying is anachronistic. Yeah. This is, idea. Of, yeah. Is okay. that this, you got to get to like John Locke. Oh, yeah, you know, okay. before the, you know, the idea that power is, de mm -hmm. power is derived by the will of the masses, where the the power comes from, and right. John Stuart Mill, like those those Enlightenment guys, and then even on to Marx in the 19th century. Yeah. Uh, but I disagree. I actually don't yeah. find that as a criticism of the movie. First of all, there have been rebels throughout history who've, who've rebelled against the the hierarchy yeah. before. I mean, you go back to like Spartacus or whatever it is, mm -hmm. like the idea of, or even, you know, Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Sure. I, so I don't find it like the way that it's framed might be a little anachronistic, but I don't have a problem with this at all in the movie. Yeah, neither do I. Um, and, and he's like, I'm going to go make sure they have their freedom. And he walks out. And who follows him outside? Robert the Bruce. Robert the Bruce. I respect what you said, but remember that these men have lands and castles. It's much to risk. And I love Wallace's response. Yeah. And the common man that bleeds on the battlefield, does he risk less? Do they risk any less? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do they risk any less? Yeah. And that is, I, you know, just as you said, mm -hmm. if only we could have the previous concept today. This one is so important. Oh, true. Very is true. I think that there's so we have such a sense of like the wealthy people. We really got to protect them. Yeah. You know, when, when a CEO is going to risk their big investment in a big corporation or something, yeah. that's very important. But the person who risks, you know, their last twenty bucks, yeah. you know, before being homeless, yeah. we're not so worried about that guy. Right. Exactly. In my opinion. Yeah. And Robert takes him by the arm and says, If you make enemies on both sides of the border, you'll end up dead. We all end up dead. It's just a question of how and why. And again, this is key to his philosophy. He just cuts through the bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Well, and what does your life mean? Right. You know? Which is, of course, so interesting because, you know, this is William Wallace's film, but what's, what's really interesting about the movie is that it becomes a um, referendum on Robert the Bruce. Robert oh, yeah. the Bruce is the one in the arc, in the arc here. Absolutely. Not so much William Wallace. Once Marin, Marin is killed, William's uh, uh, journey essentially is over. William right. is driven to achieve freedom, right? But emotionally, as a human being, his journey is over. Right. Robert the Bruce's journey is is all that's left around the rest of the film. This idea of, which he states at the beginning in the first scene with his dad, he wants to be something. He needs to be something. He doesn't know where his place is in the world. Is it just following what his dad says? But his heart tells him he wants to be like right. William, wants to inspire the people. So this whole journey, and it's not it's not uh, by accident that Robert the Bruce is the one who begins the narration of this movie because it is essentially his story Kind of hidden by William Wallace's story. It's so funny. This I, comparison never occurred to me until this moment. <laughs> but you know what movie? This is a situation where we have the primary character is essentially unchanging. Yes. And the secondary character who has the character arc. And do you know what movie we just did that is like the polar opposite of this film? Did you say Lost in America? No. No. <laughs> well, no. I don't even know what the character arcs in that movie are. Yeah. Um, 
Back to the Future. Oh, right. Because the what we talked about this at the time. Marty yes. doesn't really have an arc. No, he doesn't. But George does. Yes. It's all about George. It's, and George's arc is the dramatic turn of the film. Yes. Not Marty's. Right. And and certainly, you know, the most dramatic character turn is going to come with Robert the Bruce. Yeah. That is interesting. Um, and, and we talk about this idea of being noble and we need the nobles. And again, he's like, what does this word noble mean? Your title gives you claim to the throne of our country. But men don't follow titles. They follow courage. Again, I do think this is anachronistic because, you know, the, the people follow titles. I right, mean, that right. is the whole structure of the medieval system is the lords got the people to go out and fight for them because they had a title. Um, yeah, but there was the... But uh, this point, I agree with. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. You know. Well, there's also the revolutionary peasant uh, that existed in sure. the Holy Grail that was telling... Arthur, that it isn't just about, you know, some moistened bent and aquatic ceremonies. There's more you need, you need more to lead. <laughs> that is the best reference possible. <laughs> That's why I think it I think there's nothing in terms of philosophy or concept of leadership that's anachronistic in a film like this. If we have philosophy from the ancient Greeks, I'll sure. be damned that they didn't conceive well, of this of this concept as well. Not that William Wallace would have read Sun Tzu because right. it would be impossible. Sure. Or I mean, who knows? Maybe that maybe book. And maybe that book. Would have I mean, read it. <laughs> he read a lot of stuff. But I love one of the things in Sun Tzu is he says there's basically two kinds of generals. There's a general that sits in the back and doesn't eat with his men and eats fancier food and wears fancier clothes and has right. a nice tent. And he could still be a great general. He is not of the men. Mm-hmm. And then there's the general who works with the men and sits with the men and sleeps, you know, with the men and eats the same food and wears the same clothes and leads from the front. Yeah. And that's William Wallace. Right. You know, that's exactly. the kind of general that he is. Well, yeah. I'm reminded of that moment in Wonder Woman where she says that to, ironically, to James Cosmo, who is playing the British. Yeah, he's, he is the British guy and the general sitting back. <laughs> she walks up to him and says... What kind of generals are you sitting back while you send out these men to die? Yeah. Where I come from, we, le- we, we lead, lead from the front. By the way, you know what movie that has maybe the perfect example of this yeah. that we have to do on the cinephiles? Sure. Is Patton. We haven't done Patton yet? We haven't done Patton. My God, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Because Patton is the general that leads from the back. Yes. And Omar is. Bradley is the people's general, and mm-hmm. he's out there in the North. Patton has his jodhpurs and his yeah. outfits and his yep. pearl-handled revolvers, and they're both great and generals. And his horses. And his horses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, yeah. So Patton definitely is on the list. I'll yep. need a break from Braveheart. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a few weeks or months yeah. before we get to it, but yeah. it's a great, great film. And then we get to this moment where William Wallace says... Now, our people know you, noble and common, they respect you. And if you would just lead them to freedom, they'd follow you. And then the big moment. And so would I. Yeah, there's such a desperation in that moment yeah. from Gibson's acting. You know, it's all great to see his primal stuff and the yelling and the battle. But these are the moments where the, the film is yeah. really alive, is well, where Mel is almost like at his emotional end here with this at wit's end it here with robert he's like if you would just I, I wouldn't have to work so hard right if you could just step up a little bit and it's sort of like look what i've done yeah. with nothing with nothing yeah if yeah. you just said yes this would be easy yeah right. and, and and yeah and i think the moment's great and i'm not mm-hmm. criticizing the moment at all but it's something we talked about when we talk about part one yeah i when i really think about this character of robert the bruce as portrayed in this film yeah 
I don't see anything that Mel's talking about. Right, right. This right. whole like the, the people were presented. No, he is just right. presented as a, a wimpy, indecisive guy who's maybe well-meaning but doesn't isn't showing up. Right. So this whole like the people know you and respect you. Well, we haven't seen that. Right. Maybe we somewhere else. We that. see it through Williams's eyes. Right. Because he's saying it, but we don't actually see it on the screen. That's great. This moment when this man that he admires says, I would follow you. The reaction on Robert the Bruce's face is great. Yeah. Just profound. And then we head off to a walled city and we see the Lord inside, which I guess is the nephew of the king, I Mm -hmm. think. Um, And he says they're coming and he's and you should just escape. Yeah. And he goes, no, 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 I can't do that because I would look bad. Um, And we see William Wallace outside coming up to this wall. And this is supposed to be York. Yes. This is a totally built set. and uh, and like as I said, they never did attack York, but we do get to see a nighttime battle with a huge ass battering ram. Yeah, and man, there are so many scary things in war, but the attacking a a, a walled fortress yeah. while they shoot arrows, hot oil, burning tar down on you, just seems terrifying. Yes, agreed. Brutal. Yeah, and according to Mel Gibson. This is the world record for the most people on fire ever in a film. <laughs> when they dump the burning tar and they light it on fire. Wow. And as Mel and the, his guys jump in and they knock that wall down and mm-hmm. they are in the city. Yeah. And they captured York, which never happened. Right. Um, and we're back in England and the king is returned from his trip to France. And we see the prince and he's nervous and his... Uh, advisor, very sure. handsome friend is going, you just got to stand up to stand up to your dad. <laughs> um, he's like, I'm totally going to stand up to my dad. <laughs> and then you have this like essentially horror movie moment yeah. where they hear the footsteps coming and the prince is getting more and more nervous and there's a shot of the door and he's getting closer and closer. <laughs> I don't think he's really going to stand up no, to dad. I don't think so either. Um, and he comes in and says, what's the news? What news of the North? And he says, uh, nothing new. Yeah, right. <laughs> nothing going on. I heard the word in France where I was fighting to expand your future kingdom. The word, my son, is that our entire northern army is annihilated. And you have done nothing. And he's like, well, I, you know, I got some conscription going. And then in comes the urgent message from York. And dad says, well, give it to the prince. And strangely enough, it's not just an envelope, John. There's a big basket here. Yeah, there is a big basket. I think we, in the audience, we know what is in that basket. Yes, yes. What's, Brad, in, the, what's in the basket? I was just going to say, Brad Pitt doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, the actor whose head is in this basket. Yes. And who plays is Jesus of Nazareth. If you oh, if you watch that old uh, show from the seventies, that was a miniseries. He plays Jesus of Nazareth. Same Boy, character he, plays Jesus. He ends up in uh, yeah, poor guy. <laughs> At least one of them he comes back. He, he just can't better. stop dying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and they put the basket on the table, and he reads the note that yeah. says Wallace has sacked York, and then he opens up the basket and has a very big reaction. Yes, again, I think played for comedy. Sure, and. And we hear the, you know, like, we're talking like this is the nephew of the king and that he's obviously a beast. And then our military advisor slash best friend guy says, We would stop him. Who is this person who speaks to me as though I needed his advice? And he goes, oh, I've appointed Philip, Philip my military counsel. Um, and they goes, oh, well, really? Do you know about military stuff? And he's like, I'm, I'm skilled in all the arts of war or whatever it is. <laughs> and it's just... It, what happens here is just 
terrible. Yeah. Uh, which is, he says, oh, that's great. And he kind of says, come talk to me. Give me some advice. And he's walking him over to the window. And we know yeah. that this is not going to go well. We sense that there's bad stuff about that. And then he just pushes him out the window and yeah. kills him. Yeah, it kills him. And I remember in the theater that people laughed mm-hmm. and they thought this was hilarious. And this is where I go. This is Mel Gibson, the director, yep. and what he thinks is funny in 1995 right. in terms of a gay character and how what they're like and they're treated as cliches and used as a punchline. Mm-hmm. And yes, clearly this is an evil king who we think is, and it is making him more evil, but it isn't. It's a comic relief moment. It is a comic relief it moment. It is not in any way, shape, or form some way to reinforce him being evil. It isn't. Because it, it really, it, uh, it's not a character we care about. Well, and this is the, it almost does the opposite in a way. Yeah. Because, because yeah. it's used as a joke, it actually, we're kind of going, isn't it funny that he does it? We don't go, oh, this guy's horrible and right, awful. Right. He's like, oh, he threw the gay guy out the window. Ha, mm-hmm. ha, ha. Mm-hmm. I really think that's how it's treated. Yeah. Um, it's the way it's played. It's the, the casting of the, of the actor and of the actor playing the military counsel, Philip. And then also the way Philip does kind of break protocol and yeah. like think he can speak to the king in this way. So when he kills him, it's almost slightly warranted that the king would do this. Because if you're Philip, how can you not read the room effectively right. enough to know that you shouldn't speak out of turn to a king like Edward Longshank? Well, it's essentially like, oh, like I, I don't know why I'm use this term. But it's like a bitch slap. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, you're, oh, you think you can talk back to me, mm. you gay man? Ha ha ha! Right, can't do it. Yeah. And and here's the thing. And I want to state this again because I just feel it's very important. Yeah, I have no problem whatsoever about a character being demeaning toward you know racist right, homophobic right. sexist because there are real humans like that yeah and you know and these are real issues and we should i don't think we as filmmakers should present a world in which everyone is nice and says all the right things at the right, right times i don't believe that at all i think we have to put the mirror up to nature in every single way mm-hmm. but i think in this film in the way that this film is structured it is used as a punchline and it is not and it is revealing things about Mel Gibson that I think, rather than revealing things about the character. I agree a thousand percent. Yeah. Okay. But enough about that. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the prince grabs a knife. Yeah. Goes to, goes after Stands up dad. to his dad finally. Yeah. Dad takes him out in one shot. Yeah. Apparently, two stories I read about Edward Longshanks. One is he beat an assassin to death with his fists. Oh my God. And the other is that he apparently was so scary when he yelled at an elderly bishop that the dude dropped dead right there from a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> so he was not, if for real, a yeah. guy that you really wanted to mess around with. Yeah. yeah. And now he's sitting there going, oh, what am I going to do? I'm going to offer a truce and buy him off. But who will go to him? Not I. <laughs> if I fell under the sword of that murderer, it might be my head in a basket. I can't send my son because he'll totally lose respect for us if he sees this poor guy. Right. Um, and then he coughs. And then he goes, who should I send? Cut to William is alone at night, asleep, and the camera pushes in on him. He hears something. He wakes up, and there is someone in a cloak that looks like a woman walking through the woods. And he goes towards her, and she pulls off his hood, her hood, and it's Moran. Yeah. It's his wife. Mm-hmm. And he, I love that he kneels before mm-hmm. her. It's subservient. Yeah. Well, and worshipful. Yeah, and, worshipful. Well, because in a, in a way, this is, his whole life has now been built on her. Right. And for people who are like, oh, you know, how does this happen so quickly? 
remember that he still has the flower. Like the flower, how many years did he hold on to the flower as symbolism for him of someone back home who he could, who he was in love with for whatever reason? And so all of that is tied into this as well. So the love is deep. This is structurally true love. Yeah. This is destiny, true love, the perfect person. You know, that's how this is handled in yep. this film. And so, of course, he's, you know, she shows up, he kneels, and then he really, he knows, I'm dreaming. And she's like, yeah. yes, you are. And now you have to wake up. <laughs> and you And she says, wake up, William, wake up, William. And then, of course, we hear, wake up, William, and he's back. Yeah. And there's a banner of truths. And William walks up, and we hear the French princess is waiting. And knowing what William knows, I would be very wary yeah, of, course. of truces. And there is Isabella, and she says, you know, would you, would you be willing to talk to a woman? And he nods, and they go into the tent. Again, the real Isabella was two years old at this point, <laughs> just to be clear. And we're inside the tent, and we kind of talk about his knighthood. And we talk about him being a sacker of peaceful cities. And he, as you do, puts it right back in her face that of what the English have done. Right. The advisor to him speaks some, I think it's Latin first, mm -hmm. and calls him, you know, a lying savage. And he says, I never lie in Latin. Mm -hmm. And there's a reaction. Uh, oh, and he says, but I am a savage, which I love. And then he says, oh, or maybe you'd rather speak French in French. Yeah. And he says, look. Look at me and see if I'm lying, and then ask your king and look in his eyes and see if he's lying. And she tells the advisor to leave. And he does, and they're alone. And what I really like about the way Isabella is written is that she's smart. Yep. Because she says, like, look, I understand that you've invaded England, but you can't do it. You're too far from your supply line and shelter, and this isn't going to work. And she says, Longshanks desires peace and offers him gold, offers him lordship. Yeah. And he says, A lordship and titles, gold, that I should become Judas. Peace is made in such ways. Slaves are made in such ways. And then he talks about the hanging of the lords that he witnessed as a kid. And he says, I was very young, but I remember Longshank's notion of peace. Again, that didn't happen, but it's great in the movie. Right. Um, but Longshanks was a dick. Yeah. In, 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 of course, yes. In a lot of ways and did use that uh, unrest when the king had died in Scotland to kind of get into that and get lands and get pieces of Scotland. So, yes, he may not have uh, done the exact thing that you see in the movie, but figuratively, he'd done it in other ways. You know what? Okay, this is a digression. Yeah. yeah. But it, it relates to something that just really does bug me, hmm. is that I really dislike, particularly, you know, I, I'm not going to get into politics at all, but, sure. you know, obviously you and I are in a certain kind of political yeah. persuasion. I am so bothered when people that I who are on my side use lazy, unfactual, or illogical arguments mm. in order to make their point. Okay. It really, really bothers me because I believe that our side is logical and right. has facts behind it. Mm -hmm. And when you use poor arguments, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that are weak, you actually weaken our argument. Yeah. Because then someone explodes your argument and feels that they have exploded your point. And it's like, no, no, I want to... Do you know that um, uh, there's you know, a list of logical fallacies. Mm -hmm. And these are, you know, like uh, moving the goalposts and straw man and, right. you know, and all and there's a whole list of them and they're great. And I think about them all the time. And there are these ways that people argue to win arguments uh, in, and yet they, they have real flaws within them. 
Um, so straw man argument is where I say, John, you really believe this and this and this, right. which isn't really what you believe. And then I, and I present your argument in the weakest possible way right. so that I can destroy it. Right. Do you know what the opposite of a straw man argument is? It's called an Iron Man argument. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is that I say, John, and I present your argument in the best possible way. Right. The exact, really a version of the argument that you genuinely degree, agree yeah. with. And then I destroy that. Because if I can create an Iron Man argument for you and then say why that's flawed, then I actually have won the point. Right. Whereas if I win by a straw man argument, I haven't won anything. I've just created some bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know that was a digression, but this is my, is that Edward Longshanks really was a terrible person. Yeah. And so I feel like you could have written this movie Uh... without actually... You know, cheating quite so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And still, and actually have a better film. I don't want to say a better film. I really like this film. Right. It's a really good film. But I I just kind of go, couldn't you have done a little, you know, a little more? Well, The Outlaw King, the one that was on Netflix. Oh, which I haven't seen. Yeah, you. I I would recommend you see it. Okay. Very, hmm, what's the word I would use? Uh, I think it's uh, more true to what actually happened and what the times were like what the dress was like, everything about it. Right. And it is about Robert the Bruce. Right. That's who Chris Pine plays. And so that's a, a, a film that I think feels more in in line with what you're talking about. But the next thing that happens is she brings up his wife. Mm. I hear you fight for a woman. And there's a great reaction from him. She was my wife. We married in secret because I would not share her with an English lord. They killed her to get to me. And he has this sort of, I've never talked about this before. Yeah. I've never spoken of it. I don't know why I tell you now, except I see her strength in you. Which I, I, I kind of feel like you do, which you said in the last part. I don't mm-hmm. love this relationship so much. I don't believe oh, yeah, no. William Wallace would open up in this way at yeah. this moment. Mm-hmm. But I do like the last thing that he says to her is, one day you'll be a queen and you must open your eyes. You tell your king that William Wallace will not be ruled and nor will any Scot while I live. Yeah. Big, strong words. Mm-hmm. They, she goes away in her chariot, little peek back yeah. <laughs> to check out William Wallace. Looks from Hamish and Stephen as that happens. She gets back to England. Do we have a, do we have a little uh, interaction between Hamish and the blonde? Maybe? A little later. Uh, later. Okay. A little sorry, later sorry, on. Sorry. Don't yeah, jump yeah. The gun. Um, and... She gets back to England, tells him that he didn't take the dro- the bribe, and that he's waiting at York, and that he'll he wants to fight you face to face. You yeah. come fight him, and immediately the king is like, "Well, when we put our Welsh bowmen to his rear, and these the Irish come in over here, and these people come over here, and I think it's the prince that says, "Well, I mean, even if you sent them out today, you wouldn't get there for weeks." And he's like, "No, no, I sent them out weeks ago when yeah. I sent the princess because it was all a ruse to draw him out." Right. Uh, and to give him time. Yeah, exactly. To give him time to get his troops into place, mm-hmm. which, you know, is smart generalship. Sure. Um, and then he says, okay, Isabella, what about the money I gave you? You brought that back. She's like, no, I, I gave it to all the children. <laughs> and he's like, what? His reaction is like the, the coughing and the shock. And yeah. <laughs> and the, by the way, the coughing is is growing. You know, yeah. It's one of those, like, the first time you hear it, you don't really think about it. By the third time you have a character cough like that, yeah. we're like, oh, that guy's going to die. Yeah. That's coming. Um, and I love, by the way, Isabella's line is like, I thought you would want to be known for being magnanimous, you know? Um, but that's not really how Edward the Longshanks <laughs> works. 
We're back at uh, York. It's the personal escort of the princess, and this is where mm -hmm. we see the maid show up, and she gives Hamish a letter, and this is her informing William about the trap. Yeah. Yeah. And we're heading off to battle now, and Stephen has heard that the Irish have landed, mm -hmm. uh, and he's had to see, you know, and that they're working with Edward the Longshanks, and he had to see that with his own eyes, and Hamish is seeming worried. I wouldn't worry about them. Didn't I tell you before? It's my island. <laughs> and that maniacal wow. Ireland, yeah, yeah, it's mine. It's great, yeah. And we're back with our lords, and they're like, we got to negotiate. Those lords are like a one-trick pony, yep. man. In every scene, it's like, what's going on? I guess we should negotiate. Got to play it safe. Let's play it safe. Let's negotiate. And in comes Wallace, and he—they've been on like a forced march, and he's like, okay, we're ready to go fight this battle. We just need your help. We need all your soldiers, and we even need you guys to fight, not just your soldiers. And they're going talking about negotiating, and he says, look, don't you even want to show up and look like you're going to fight so that before you negotiate? And Robert the Bruce is trying to talk to him. He's trying to interrupt. Um, and William is not very delicate about all this. We cannot defeat this army. We can't. So, William. And we will. We won at Sterling. And still you quibble. We won at York and you would not support us. If you'll not stand up with us now, then I say you're a coward. Out comes the weapons, and out comes Hamish's big ass yeah. axe. And if you are a Scotsman, I'm ashamed to call myself one. And finally, Robert the Bruce says, let me talk to you alone. And he pulls him aside and he says, fighting this army now seems like rage. His response, it's way beyond rage. Help me. In the name of Christ, help yourselves. And this is even more than the scene that you were talking about mm -hmm. before. This is him pleading. Yeah. Pleading with him. Now is our chance. Now. If we join, we can win. If we win, well, then we'll have what none of us have ever had before. Country of our own. Country of our own. His speech yeah. is great. Yep. They actually had a country of their own <laughs> really recently. <laughs> Cut it out, Steve. Oh, should, we, should I lay it off? No, should no, I lay no. off? I'm just joking. I'm playing. I like it. It's a good... We have to be I, honest. You know? I am sure there are Cinephiles fans out there that are just saying, could you please stop? Could I just enjoy the movie? And, and, no, but I think you listen to Cinephiles to get educated about the film about filmmaking and about techniques, but also about the film. So this well, is and, part of it. And I mean, a part of why I like doing the cinephiles is I also like history and science yeah. and philosophy and ideas and all this stuff and that we Absolutely. and journalism and all sorts of things that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about this stuff. And I'll say it again. You and I both love this movie. Yes, thoroughly. So I'm not trying to tear down the movie, I, but we have to point out what we got to point out. Yeah. Um, I love something. You can love anything despite its flaws. You're the rightful leader, and there is strength in you. I see it. Unite us. Unite us. Unite the clans. And they have that big, like, arm wrestle mm. position. And they grab hands, and this is it. He, Robert the Bruce has agreed to join William, and that means all the other lords are going to follow him. And then, right after that, who does Robert the Bruce talk to? Dad. Dad, yep. This cannot be the way. You said yourself, the nobles will not support Wallace. 
it. How does it help us to join the side that is slaughtered? And he's like, I gave him my word. And the dad, our leper friend, is like, this is what it means to be a leader. Yeah. It's a really, really dark version of what it means to be a leader. Mm -hmm. I mean, I understand that powerful people do have to compromise. I totally do understand that. Right. But there is a point, you know, yep. at which, what are you doing? Right. Fall Kirk. It's early morning, and our guys are out early, and they're pouring some kind of black stuff mm-hmm. out on the... Uh, on the grass, Wallace is there, and Hamish is there, and he comes up and says, the Bruce is not coming. Mm-hmm. And Wallace says, he'll come. Can you remember seeing it the first time? Yeah. And what, what did you, do you remember, I know it's impossible, it's 20 years, twenty more than 20 years ago, but what you thought? There are certain moments you never forget in movies, man, seeing the first time, and certainly this movie, when the betrayal which i imagine is what you're alluding to well no what i'm actually referring to Mm. before we get to the betrayal i mean you're in this moment and hamish says robert's not coming right and wallace says he'll come yeah what are you thinking Uh, are you thinking that wallace is right or that or that he's not going to come yeah you, you fall into your cliche film expectations that you've been what do they call it you've uh kind of learned over the years they set up this moment that Hamish says it's, it's not coming, right? But his, but William Wallace's just stubborn belief in Robert the Bruce that he's going to come l- put lets you be like, okay, he'll probably come right at the end. He'll it's, show up at the last minute. I bet I thought, you know, yeah, I yeah. bet I thought at this moment that yeah. he was going to Han Solo it. Yeah, right. Come you in know, right at the end. He's going to come in like we, show who he is. He's going to become the person he's going to become. Right. You know why? Because most of the world is ignorant of what actually happened in Scotland during this time. So all of none of us are like, oh, no, he's not going to show up. Well, frankly, if you knew a lot about the battle, yeah. Falkirk, <laughs> you wouldn't think what was going to happen was going to happen. Any, You would just go, well, Robert the Bruce wasn't there. <coughs> right. He was somewhere else. Right. Um, uh, we cut over and there is uh, King Edward the Longshanks on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to his man and he's talking to this guy in this helmet. This sort of bucket can't see anything of him helmet. Right. And he says, quite a lovely gathering. Don't you agree? And they ask, should you send the archers? And he goes, no. Arrows cost money. Use up the Irish. The dead cost nothing. <laughs> it's really dumb. He's full of gray lines. I mean, it's great. Well, this is like for an evil villain. This is a great moment. No, for it... a, a military strategy, this is terrible. Yeah. Like, <laughs> shoot the arrows. Yeah. <laughs> Why <laughs> waste any man? Yeah. I mean, like, putting people in there means you don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. And the Irish march forward and they look a lot like our Scottish soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the heavy English infantry behind them and the cavalry behind them and the Irish start running. And Wallace is waiting, and then they start jogging forward, and the Irish are jogging, and the music is building, and the and the heavy infantry is coming, and the king is smirking because he knows they're going to win, and they yell and charge, and they get closer and closer. And I think part of what makes this moment work so well mm-hmm. is our experience in the cavalry charge in the Battle of Stirling, right? Because we are primed, mm-hmm. and for the 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 final like you know melee in, in that clutch, battle, yeah. like we're for what's about going to happen. It's going to be, and they're coming faster and they're coming faster and then they get right to each other when the battle's going to happen and they slow down yep. and they stop and they look at each other and then Stephen's laughter oh, it's great. is great. It's his friends. Oh. It's my island. <laughs> That's right, doing all that kind of stuff, yeah. I, I love, love you, you this morning. Morning. 
think when I saw it that first time in that earlier cut, I think he was like a prince of Ireland. Oh, yeah, maybe. I think he said, I told you it's my island. Like, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even get that far. To me, he was like William Wallace of Ireland. Yeah. He's just in, these men are inspired by him. But the moment is fantastic. It is. And watching the Irish join with the Scots and turn around against the English, it's great. And the cherry on top of this cake is uh, Edward Longshan saying, oh, Irish. Yeah. It was perfect. It's a great moment. Yeah. Never happened. Nope. <laughs> Didn't happen. Uh, but great. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And what, one of the interesting things about this is that we have the schiltrons, which is the long spears that they use to create a formation against the horses, right? which really weren't used at the Battle of Stirling. Because at the Battle of Stirling, there were only horses coming two by two over that bridge in the right. real Battle of the Bridge of Stirling, and that they didn't do that there. This is the battle where they actually did the Shiltrons mm. against the cavalry and defeated them. Right. This is the one where they were really used. But since we're going a completely different direction in this battle, we don't we don't really do that here. So you and that's one where I totally get this. They wanted to show William Wallace using this tactic. Right. They weren't going to show it here because of changes in the structure of the story. So they moved them to the other battle. I totally get that and yeah. agree with it. And Wallace gives a signal to these guys with flame arrows, and they shoot them towards the where the cavalry is, who is coming in behind the Irish. Mm-hmm. And it hits the ground and bursts into flames. Yeah, uh, It is brutal and it is horrible and it is great military strategy stuff. Mm-hmm. You love seeing it. Um, and now the king is pissed because he sees his horses going down. This is like, this is his tank brigade. I mean, these are the most important guys in his army. Um, and now William raises his big sword and screams for the attack. And they go in and just start wiping them out. Yep. And it's very similar to what we've seen before. It's beautifully edited. It's super fast. It's super brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the groundbreaking war stuff. Yep. And then Wallace signals to the cavalry, the two lords that he has up on the hill, mm-hmm. to bring in the attack, to bring in the final hammer to win this battle. And what do they do? They turn around, nod at each other, yep. turn around, and take their guys home. And the reaction from Wallace is just brutal yep it's just so sad what what it seems like in history is that there's a very good chance that they just saw they were losing the battle and they just ran yeah like it wasn't necessarily a betrayal a planned betrayal Mm -hmm. it was just we're in deep shit right what's the point yeah Mm -hmm. and then again the king is talking to this guy with a bucket on his head and i think at this point we're starting to go what's up with that who is that? Right, guy? who is that? Yeah. Is that the prince? I don't think that's the prince. Right. Like, who is that? And he says that he bribed these guys with lots more lands. And then the king calls for his archers. Now he wants the archers. And the guy, someone says like, yeah, but our own men are, all, are there. He goes, that's that's fine. Right. <laughs> they'll, hit, they'll hit them too. They'll hit them too. Yeah. And they fire and everyone starts going down. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Tommy Flanagan gets killed. Uh, Hamish's dad, uh, James Cosmos, gets like a massive yep. hit in the in the gut. Axe in the gut. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when everyone's just brutalized, the king says, send in the rest. Right. His languid delivery mm. in these moments, perfect. Yeah, absolutely agree. Perfect bad guy. And they charge, and we're all getting wiped out now. Um even Wallace, he gets hit in the shoulder. Yep. Um, and the king <laughs> leaving says, Bring me Wallace. Alive if possible. Dead. Just as good. Just as good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, He's such a funny villain. 
even though he's brutal, he's very funny. He says, I mean, we like bad guys on some level and listening to people say horrible things. And he goes, shall we retire? And then he starts riding off and the guy with the bucket on his head gets riding off and Wallace with an arrow in his shoulder breaks the arrow off. Yeah. Um, and keeps fighting with, I would say, full rage power. Oh, yeah. He's in, like, berserker land. And he sees the kind riding away, and he does his rage charge and knocks a guy off a horse and jumps on a horse and charges. And great, great long lens shot of him going through the flames. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. And Stephen watches him go and starts to go after him. And two knights, uh, including the guy with the bucket at the head at the trail of the king's you know, guys turns around to go fight Wallace. Yeah. And uh, he's ordered to protect the king and he's got a big lance. Like this is like old school jousting and Mm -hmm. he charges and they collide and Wallace goes over the horse and the ASPCA, who are the people that say whether or not any animals were harmed, saw this and they called up when they said, what did you kill a horse? He's like, no, it's a mechanical horse. And like, no, it's not. And they look at all the footage and like, that is a real horse. You killed a horse. And they go, no, it's a mechanical horse. And just by luck, someone was videotaping on the set that day. Oh, wow. And they found the videotape and were able to show them to him. And like, oh, I guess it is. It's a mechanical horse. That he goes <laughs> over. But it does look really scary. It does. Yeah. And uh, our mystery knight drops his lance. Uh, he dismounts. He goes to get Wallace, who looks knocked out on the ground. Mm-hmm. And Wallace, of course, jumped up, rips the helmet out, knife at the throat, and we see Robert the Bruce. And he's screaming. Yeah. Right? For fear. Out of fear. Yeah. And Wallace backs away. And the reaction. I, I Mel Mel's the best. He really is. I don't think anyone else does this particular he's, thing better. He's broken. Totally. In this moment, broken. And it's that moment where you find out Santa Claus isn't real, where you find out your parents... Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. You find out that your parents can actually make mistakes. It's just that but the betrayal <laughs> is so deep uh. because it is betrayal of the idealism of this fight and William Wallace's insistence that there is this leader and this hero inside of Robert the Bruce if he would just let him out, and he's wrong. At least in this moment. Well, and I think I think it's I think everything you say is true. Yeah. And it's even one step further because everything he is fighting for is dependent upon Robert the Bruce at some point stepping up. Yes. If if Robert the Bruce never steps up, all of this is for nothing. Right. That means every single person that has died, every sacrifice he's made, they should have just stayed home. Yeah. There was no reason to do this if Robert the Bruce isn't going to stand up. Right. And the reaction from Robert the Bruce is just as profound. Yeah. To come face to face with the person who you idolized, who you have betrayed. Yeah. It is awful. Yeah. And Robert sees that the English are coming and he sees Stephen ride up and he makes the choice at yep. this moment. Picks up William and says, get him out of here. Gets him on the horse. And there's a great, great look from Stephen, mm-hmm. which is rage and anger, and you're saving him. Yeah. There's both both of them are in there. I also think a little bit of pity that this is the kind of human being you are. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Because right. uh, Stephen is this character in the movie is very principled in his right. beliefs as well. And then Robert looks down and finds that little piece of fabric, mm-hmm. that token from Wallace's wife. Mm-hmm. And the and the camera tilts up at his face, and he is. There's a lot going on there. Yep. Yeah. 
I think Angus McFadden plays this really well. He does. Yeah. It's always a shame to be he never became like a really big actor after this. Yeah, I agree. I thought he had the chops. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Um, it's after um, Hamish is cleaning Dad's wounds, and Wallace is just stunned. Mm-hmm. Still got that arrow in his shoulder, and finally, Dad says, "Hamish's dad says, I'm dying. Let me be." Mm-hmm. And there's a look from Wallace to Steven, and Hamish doesn't want to let him go. Nope. No. You're going to love. I've lived long enough to live free. Proud to see you become the man you are. It's a great moment, man. And then he dies. This is, I mean, you know, like you and I both have our dad stuff. Yeah. Well, this is all we want from dad. Yeah. We want this moment Mm -hmm. for dad to look us in the eye and say, I've seen you become the man you become. I'm I'm proud of you. Yeah. I mean, that's it. And he dies. And the reaction from Hamish is great. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. And then there's the shot later. It's on the battlefield. It's it's twilight. There's smoke everywhere. Everyone is covered in blood. And there is Robert the Bruce walking through mm-hmm. what he did, mm-hmm. what he caused. Mel says they shot this in like 45 minutes. Wow. He says that they just, they knew they had to get it. And they just went in with four cameras. They just poured blood on everybody, <laughs> put a bunch of smoke on it. And they had a crane and they just... Boom, they just knocked it out. Wow. And maybe it probably wasn't 45 minutes. It was probably a couple hours, but yeah, you know. Um, Maybe the actual shooting was 45, but the setup was long. Yeah. I I, I, want to pause just for a moment to take... I can't begin to imagine how hard this was on Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah. I mean, being... Because it's a physical role. Yes. To direct and act in this thing for five months... In the rain, in the cold, mm-hmm. fighting constantly, probably very, you know, two hours of sleep a night. And he, I, this is so much pressure on a person. Mm-hmm. And he says, he, he, about three or four months in, he, he's a basket case. Yeah, I'm sure. They had to stop shooting uh, a couple of times, just like for a whole day, mm-hmm. because he just couldn't, couldn't do it. And it's not like, you know, Mel is the most stable of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you add this all to the mix at a younger age. 
Yeah. Who knows what his rage or frustration or moments of explosion were like? Well, f- frankly, I only think that crazy people can do things like this. Mm-hmm, fair. Do you know what I mean? Like, it takes a, like, you know, this is a horrible comparison, but we talked about what the real T. Lawrence did. Yeah. You know, right. like, people that are willing to push themselves to physical extremity in, ter- in service of a goal. Most people go, you know, you t- think about great athletes. You think about, right. you know, most people go, no, I'm. I'm done. Yeah, I've hit you know, my wall. I can't. Yeah, I, 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 it's not worth it. And right. some people just go and keep going. They yeah. have rage strength. And I think Mel has that. Yes. As evidenced in lots of the scenes. <laughs> uh, we got to go back to the leper. Hmm. And, and you know, Robert's there and he says, I'm the one who's rotting, but I think your face looks graver than mine. And he's trying to convince him, like, we did it. Yeah. We got the alliance with England. And Robert is so just like, I hate you. Lands, titles, men, power, nothing. Nothing? I have nothing. Men fight for me, because if they do not, I throw them off my land and I starve their wives and their children. Those men who bled the ground red at Falkirk, they fought for William Wallace and he fights for something that I've never had. And I took it from him when I betrayed him, and I saw it in his face on the battlefield. And it's tearing me apart. One of those lords is sleeping, and he is has this dream. <laughs> oh, this is great. Of this, Mel. By the way, the this flame. never happened either. <laughs> and it's, there's a shot well, of Mel. Well, maybe the dream did. Well, the dream, the dream might have. It certainly had. It's Wall, William Wallace riding towards camera in the flames. The yeah. shot is amazing. Apparently, it's shot in super slow motion on a thousand millimeter lens, which is really long, which means the depth of field is focus is really difficult. So you have to have a guy pulling focus as the horse comes towards you. It's an incredibly difficult shot. Wow. Um, and but that and then he wakes up oh good it's just a tree <laughs> then wallace bursts through the door right. on his horse above him on the bed drops a morning star in slow motion <laughs> kills him rides bursts through another door onto like a balcony over a river yeah then turns around goes i can't do that and then goes no i guess i have to do that because guards are coming jumps the horse again mechanical horse off the balcony and falls in the black in slow motion into the river yeah I think this scene is ridiculous. It is. It's just like, what? And and here's why I don't like it, is we went into like an action movie. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we were in like a really gnarly, gritty Mm -hmm. war film. And now we're in this sequence. He he jumps on the horse off the thing and he Mm -hmm. bursts through. I mean, it just seems silly. It's legendary. It is legendary. So therefore, not true. Yeah. Uh, We're back with Robert the Bruce at his table and all, all the lords are talking about how William Wallace is killing people and, yeah. and Robert the Bruce and in maniacal school sort of laugh, you know, the next one could be you, could yeah. be me. And just as we're dealing with Robert the Bruce, who's gone off the deep end, one of the lords has got like eating something and then there's drips of blood. And then it's another lord who falls from the ceiling <laughs> also dead. Again, we're in like a different movie yeah. as far as yeah. I'm concerned in this moment. And then we have Wallace going through the highlands. And great music. Love the music here. It's great. And yeah. we're hearing people talk about him and that. William Wallace killed 50 men. 50 effort was won. 100 men. With his own sword. Cut through them like Moses through the Red Sea. He runs up to the top of this hill and we have this helicopter shot spinning around him. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah. 
apparently this montage was supposed to be earlier in the movie mm. because the old guy saying he's seven feet tall and all that, right. that's before the Battle of Sterling when people have heard the rumors about him. Right. And the reason they moved it later was it allowed them to cut like 20 minutes out of the film. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. And, and it works great. Did you see those 20 minutes? I have no idea. Okay. I mean, I know, I think the movie was longer, but I don't know. Hmm. And now we're back with Edward and the legend is growing and it's getting worse. Yeah. So we're going to hire some assassins. We need some bait. He seems to like the princess. Let's send her. And he's even like, you know, if she gets killed, then we might gain France as a useful exactly, ally. Exactly. So it's all going to work out. Unfortunately, the maid overhears this. Mm-hmm. And they're, we're ready for the meeting. And we're got Hamish and Stephen and William. And there's a bunch of guards at the hut who kind of say, here he comes. And they walk up. And we're going, oh, what are they going to do? And at the last minute. They charge the guards, they push him into the hunt, they push a, a, a cart up against it, and they light that hut on fire and burn. Yep. So they do not get fooled by this one. <laughs> and now it's William Wallace riding alone, and he comes to another hut, looks at it suspiciously, and inside the princess is waiting. Yeah. And he's in the hut, says, I received your message. So the maid warned him about the ambush, mm-hmm. and says, this is the second time you've warned me in danger. Why? And she doesn't want to answer the question. Starts talking about supplies. And he moves in. Why do you help me? Because of the way you are looking at me now. And they kiss. And they have some sex. Hey, And you're not a fan of this. Well, it's just not believable. Yeah. Right? But, I mean, I didn't know well, about... Well, because she's three. Well, honestly, I didn't know... <laughs> I really didn't know that until I was doing research for the film for this... That for it's this totally movie. not believable. Yeah, I knew there were inaccuracies, but I didn't know that she was so far inaccurate. I was just hung up on the fact that there's no way, if she existed... At this, it was and was at this age rather. Uh, there's no way this would have happened. I don't think they should have had sex. Right. I think she could be attracted to him. Yes, that's fine. And I, I, it's great for her to be attracted to. Him. Absolutely, I think she could say because of the way you're looking at her, me now. Right, and he leaves. Yes, because he doesn't want to violate the love he had. And then yeah. what I would do is in the jail cell when she offered. That's when they do kiss. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, because that's like the end of his life, and we're yeah, and she, and maybe he kisses her to get her to go away so he could spit out that we're going to get to that right, in a minute. Right. Um, but I, I would probably not have had them do it. Yeah, I agree. You know, that's my opinion. It takes it away. It takes away yeah. from the, the love he has for Mara. But there is a beautiful goodbye kiss under a tree, mm-hmm. and then he gets up and rides away. And we have our three main guys riding together, and we have kind of montage of Robert the Bruce with his sick dad, and Edward Longshanks is getting sicker, mm-hmm. and the princess is walking down some hallway, clearly remembering yeah. her night with William. Very much um, so. And then we hear this. Just when we thought all hope was lost, our noble saviors have arrived. And we have three lords with like hoods over their heads because they have come to offer a deal. Yeah. And they say that we're ready to join you. And Robert the Bruce is ready to join you. And we'll swear loyalty and Scotland will be one. And he and he goes, what, you mean like us and you? And he goes, no, I mean this. And he pulls out the fabric, that same token, mm-hmm. all the way back from the beginning. And that means Robert the Bruce is on board. Right. We cut to a little later, and it's Hamish and Stephen, and Hamish says, you can't trust him. And Stephen says, well, you know what? He would have killed you if he was really a betrayer. Mm -hmm. And Wallace is like, look at us. Joining the nobles is the only chance we have. If we don't, and I love this line. You know what happens if we don't take that chance? What? Nothing. I think that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and again, I love Mel's performance in this, Mm -hmm. is is that Hamish says... I have no desire to be a martyr. And Mel says, Nor do I. Yeah. It's great. But he's like, but he's, but it's great. What's great about this scene too, Steve, is like 
Mel plays the tiredness of being a leader. Yeah. Like, this was not what his life was supposed to be. Like, he says at the beginning of the film, I don't want to get involved in the troubles. I just want to raise a family. And a farm. And a farm. That's it. Yeah. Because of this whole thing with Mara and myself, I I became a de facto leader for this re- rebellion. This actually did happen. William Wallace's rebellion did actually happen. Uh, and But this moment here is so great because you see the weight of what he's chosen to do. You know, we live in the... And I, I like this also, Steve, because it kind of breaks the convention that we've seen before in other hero films. Well, we never see the hero get tired or exhausted or overwhelmed by the task he's taken on. Yeah. We always see him step up that extra yeah. thing. But in that moment, when he turns to Hamish and he says, nor do I, it's, I want to live. I don't yeah. want to die. And yeah, for all my talk about being free in Scotland and, you know, if Robert... like. At the base of it, I love my life. I don't want to lose it. Yeah. But I also know we're running out of options. And we've got to try and see if maybe this is true because we can't keep living like this uh, and keep surviving because in the end, we'll st- we'll, we, we, we won't win. I think this is one of the things that Mel's so good at, which is combining strength and vulnerability. Yeah. Is that you see everything you just described, all that pain, mm-hmm. all that sorrow and tiredness and desire for a totally different life and the the need to go forward the need to know and and then there's this moment i love this too where he says i've asked god for those things that's all for nothing if you don't have freedom that's just a dream william yeah man and the hurt on mel's face it's another betrayal it is a dream just a oh what we've been doing all this time and, and here's what I like about it so much. I don't think Hamish has been fighting for freeman, freedom. Mm-hmm. I think Hamish has been fighting because he hates those guys. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Those guys killed his dad and killed all sorts of people, and he's going to fight back because yeah. that's the kind of person he is. Right. He doesn't have lofty goals. That's for him. That's for William. I don't, I, I don't think Hamish can imagine what freedom is. Right. He's just fighting this battle right here, and the hurt on William Moss's face mm. Um. And, and and Hamish goes at him. He's like, no, it's about Moran. Like two good friends. Yeah. He knows the button to push. He says, you're doing it because she, you think she sees you. I don't think she sees me. I know she does. And your father sees you too. That's the line, man. And then what does he do? He gets punched in the mouth. Really, how many teeth does William Wallace have? Because you, you got to imagine when Hamish yeah, it was a big hits you in the mouth. <laughs> It is a big, big thing. Yeah, but it, and it's a very. This scene is a very real moment between friends. Like yeah. friends will find that 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 one line that you shouldn't cross. Yep. In that moment, and go too far. <laughs> then they'll be the yeah, and, and then they'll, they'll be, be the, the, the third friend, <laughs> Stephen, <laughs> who's the, always seen this before. It's like, oh Jesus, yeah, right. <laughs> I've so often been the third friend. <laughs> He's just going like, oh my God, what are they doing? <laughs> why why are we doing this? Um, and then they ask, "Shall I come with you?" Yeah, and he says, "No." And Stephen says, I'll see you after, and then looks up at the sky again and says, sooner rather than later, I hope. Mm-hmm. I don't think this holds true at all. I think based the idea that William Wallace goes alone yeah. to meet the lords who he's never trusted, and Robert the Bruce, who the last time he saw them, who never did anything for him, right. and then the last time he saw him, totally betrayed him, 
like in the most major way possible. Mm -hmm. And he just, the last thing that happened is that Edward Longshanks tried to assassinate him. And his memory of his childhood is the betrayal of those lords and their pages. Yeah. Like I think the idea, and we see, and we even hear the legend that the maid says of him getting out of this trap when there was the, it's like one thing we know about William Wallace is he's smart about the enemy and about getting out of traps. Yeah. And the fact that he just walks into this place I just think seems to, I, it has to happen. I think it's a valid uh, uh, analysis to make, brother, because yeah, it, it seems like an odd choice that he would willingly sacrifice himself in this situation in this moment. You know, it seems much more likely that he would bring his dudes, yeah. and have a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, I'm going to try. I have to try, right? But I'm going to have a backup plan, right? Exactly. The reason he can't do that. Is because the movie is two hours and 58 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, right. And we have to get to the end at some point. Yes, we do. And so he, where Robert is waiting for him, and there's a discussion of whether or not he's going to come. And Robert walks on the table, which I love, as William did. Mm-hmm. And we see William coming up to the castle, and he gets off his horse, and the music stops. And I love, it's all the little looks that mm-hmm. makes this scene work. Mm-hmm. Where he keeps looking around, and something's not right he senses something's wrong yeah and there's a look from a kid and William looks around and Robert looks up at that other lord who gives us a, a nod mm-hmm. and immediately Robert the Bruce screams no and British soldiers running now I don't know where the British soldiers were hiding in Robert's castle because I think that's where we are in yeah. Edinburgh um, and Robert the Bruce tries to protect him, literally throws his body in front of them. As they were beating on William, yeah. Yeah, and they start beating on Robert, mm-hmm. and the other lords go, not the Bruce, he was not to be harmed, that's the arrangement. Mm-hmm. Later on, he's with his dad, and he, he runs goes, in there, angry yeah. at his dad. And slams him up against the wall. Yeah. Yeah. A son yelling at his yeah. father. You fucking bastard! Why? Why? Longshanks acquired Wallace. So did our nobles. That was the price of your crown. Robert is so... Just like, I hate you. Yeah. I don't want to be king. I hate you. And he's like, good. You, you, you hate and you finally know how to hate. And now you're going to be strong enough to be a king. Yeah. And Robert's last line is, My hate will die with you. It's the trial. William Wallace, you stand in taint of high treason. Against whom? Against your king. Never in my whole life did I swear allegiance to him. That might be something William the Wallace actually said. Yeah. This is very, I mean, they, they have, he definitely was, he was not betrayed by Robert the Bruce. He no. was betrayed by a spy. Um, and captured. And by the way, uh, he probably was between the Battle of Falkirk and when he was captured, he probably was in France mm-hmm. most of the time. He wasn't running around assassinating right. lords who betrayed him. He was talking to King Philip, trying to get help for the Scots in their battle against the English. Yeah. And then he came back and got betrayed. He was put on trial. Further proof that he wasn't a commoner. Yeah. A commoner would not be going to France to negotiate with King Philip. Yes. Um, and we kind of go like, look, if you confess, you'll get out. You get a clean, quick death, and if not, you will be purified by pain. Do you confess? Do you confess? And he doesn't answer, Mm -hmm. and then on the morrow, you will receive your purification. And they take him away. 
We're in the dungeon and the princess arrives and they say, no, no, you're not allowed in. And she says, the king will be dead in his month in a month and his son is a weakling. Who do you think will rule this kingdom? And the guard goes, hmm. Yeah, good logic. Good point there. They let her in. He kicks William, which she kind of says, stop that and gets rid of him and they're alone. And she says, sir, I come to beg you to confess all and swear allegiance to the king for mercy. His response, will he show mercy to my country? Mm. And she's like, well, you could die quickly or, or even live in the tower. And in time, who knows what will happen? Mm. What do you think she's saying when she says, who knows what will happen? Uh, that she could be in power eventually and she could negotiate uh, the freedom for Scotland. What else? They could be together. I think so too. Yeah. I think she's saying that too. Mm-hmm. If I swear to him that all that I am is dead already. And she cries. And says, you will die. It will be awful. And he says, every man dies. Not every man really lives. I still have that quote. I have that quote uh, as something I carry around on my phone or on, or, and on my computer. Yeah, I know it's a movie. But there's something about that quote that always struck me and I never want to let it go. Every man dies. Not every man really lives. I want to stricken the phrase, I know it's a movie from the record. Okay, fair. Like, we have devoted literally years now (laughs) to saying these movies are important. Yeah. And I think that line is important. Mm -hmm. I think that is a profound line. And it's so funny because there are so many scripts that I've written where I've written a line that is ish Mm. in that area. Yeah. You know? Um, it, you know, and it's funny. I was Karen and I were just listening to Hamilton. In Hamilton, George Washington says something like that to Alexander Hamilton. Right. Um, dying is easy, kid. Li- living is harder. Mm-hmm. You know, or dying is easy, son. Living is harder. Yeah. Like, there's so many lines that are in this realm because this is the real philosophy. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's it's, and this is you know, this is on the movie. This is on the, I mean, on the yes. poster. This is this is the line of the movie in a lot of ways. And she pulls out a vial because she wants to help him. This will dull your pain. And he says, no, it'll numb my wits. If I'm senseless or waver, then Longshanks will have broken me. Yeah. And she just literally begs him to do it. And she finally, he agrees. And she pours it in his mouth and they kiss. And it's a long kiss. Mm -hmm. And they pull away. And I do see Bell Gibson swallow, (laughs) by the way, at this moment. And she leaves. And then he spits it out. Yeah. I probably would have taken it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's like if, if, if the best possible version of me where I didn't confess and swear allegiance to the king. If I said, no, no, I'm going to go to it. I'd be like, no, no, I'll take that. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I've already I've agreed to have the horribleness. Happen. Yeah. It's the day of the horribleness happening. Isabel is in a red dress and comes to visit the king who is now bedridden mm-hmm. and he can't even speak. He's probably had a stroke or something like that, we think. And she's begging for the life of William Wallace and that's not going to work. And the prince is being pretty much a complete dick mm-hmm. and she begs for mercy and the king won't have mercy. And she's like, turns to the prince and is like, you don't even know what that word means. Mm-hmm. And then she leans in really, really close to him and she's right at him whispering in his ear. Not sit long on the throne, I swear. Ooh. Yeah. So 
What is she saying exactly? Uh, that she's carrying William Wallace's baby. That's what I think. Uh, and, uh, of course, none of this is factually accurate. No. And, in fact... Because uh, at this she, point, she's nine. No, right, exactly. Uh, she did lead a rebellion later on... Uh, as the queen in, mm-hmm. against, I think, against the prince. and Well, she helped betray him, and yeah. he was executed. Yes. Edward II. That's right. Uh, not a great king not also. Great king. No. Um, but she didn't have her kid for seven years after, right, exactly. after William's death. Yeah. Um, they, she wasn't married to the prince at this point. None of this is, is right. actually true. Right. Does that mean it's not a great moment? No, it's a great moment. It's a great moment. It's a great She's F like, you. Yes. Yeah. To say to the guy, who, who the evil guy that can't speak anymore. Yeah. We're at the execution. We have some little people doing a dumb show of the mm-hmm. uh, execution, and William is in his cell. And there's beautiful God, you know, light streaming in through the window, mm-hmm. and he prays for strength. I'm so afraid. Give me the strength that I will. And we're back at the outside of the execution, and they roll William in on a cart, and the people are silent. And then they open up with the vegetables and yeah. throw them at him. <laughs> Apparently, the first round of vegetables, there were some carrots and heavy stuff in there. Yeah. And Mel went, that hurt. Let's switch to the lettuce. You can watch Mel's face yeah. when he's hit by either potato or an onion. Yeah. And he is ready to jump. Yeah. You can see, if you watch the movie closely, there's a moment where he gets in the face and he like looks like he's ready to attack the person who yeah. did that. Because it looked like it's real, hitting him really hard. One of, one of the great things that they set up is all of our characters, even ones that aren't anywhere near here, are watching mm-hmm. this. Because we have the princess watching and listening. We have, obviously, the prince and King Edward lying in bed. We have Hamish and Stephen in the crowd in hoods. Mm-hmm. And we even have Robert the Bruce way up in Edinburgh, standing yeah. on a wall. Oh, and this is the magic of film, is that, of course, he... He's not there. He doesn't know what the hell's happening. Right. And yet we have brought him into this scene. And the judge has William up on that stage and he takes a blanket off a table to reveal all the implements of torture. Yeah. And he says, you will fall to your knees now and declare yourself the king's loyal subject and beg his mercy. Hmm. Originally, what he said is something like, before we were done, I will use every tool on this table or we will use it. And... People were so freaked out and scared that they walked out of the theater <laughs> in the early screenings because, like, I can't handle looking at that. And so they changed the line and people didn't walk out anymore. And there was gore before. Like, in this oh, version, yeah? we don't see anything. But in the early cut, I think the one I saw, yeah, you saw some stuff. Wow. And there's this moment where William makes eye contact with the little kid. Mm-hmm. And... What Mel Gibson says about this was that this was his way of connecting with purity, mm-hmm. and that helped him survive what was going to happen. Uh, they get a rope. They put the rope around his neck. The king is coughing in his bed. The prince is watching, and William is lifted up by the neck and basically hung. Yeah. Apparently, Mel passed out once. Like, they really... He lost consciousness. No surprise that Mel really wanted to try this. He really wanted... Well, what he said after was he said, it happens fast. Yeah, of course like, it does. Like, you're out really quick. Yeah, when you watch the movie, you think, oh, yeah. I could handle that. And then it happens. You're like, holy shit. Well, you know there's two different ways of hanging people? I didn't know that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, there's probably lots of, lots of ways. Well, it depends on what you're trying to do. Right. One is that you're trying to cut off the oxygen and to choke them to death. Cut off the blood supply and the oxygen. Right. The other way is to break the neck. So when you watched uh, someone on the gallows and the trap door would right. drop out and you would drop 
10 feet before getting caught. But the goal of that and w- the way the noose was tied was to actually break your neck so it would be instant. Right. If you just hang someone, they're going to spend a, l- a while dying. Right. It's like that Western hanging where you push the horse away. The horse away. And they, yeah, and they rail yeah. around for a while, yeah. yeah. Things things to learn on the cinephiles. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, he's on his knees. They stop, let him go from that, and he's on his knees. And the judge says, rise to your knees and kiss the emblem on this cloak, and you will feel no more. Mm-hmm. And he sees that piece of fabric. And there's this moment where he gets up to his knees, and the judge is like, oh, good. It's going to happen. And then the crowd quiets, and he stands up. And there's a reaction from the judge, and then he says, wreck him. Yeah! And they cheer because the crowd is loving this. Right. Bloodthirsty crowd. Well, and the reputation of William Wallace is a horrible outlaw killing. That's the news they're getting. Yeah. You know, he's a horrible outlaw who's invaded England and his men are killing and raping and all the horrible stuff. So, Mm -hmm. like, of course they want to get this guy. Right. Um, And they pull him apart and the judge stands under him and says, enough. And they let him down and they tie him up on a wooden cross. And again, you know, this is the full Christ Mm -hmm. pose. And we're in a top-down shot, and he opens up his shirt with this big, nasty-looking hook, and then we're just on his face. Yeah. And there's a gasp as they cut him open. <laughs> and by the way, what happened to the real William Wallace is even worse. Yeah, it was what happened. Way longer than what you hear, uh, what you see in the movie. I mean, the the first dragged him through the streets of London naked mm-hmm. on, over the rocks, and then they cut off his genitals. Right. And then they, you know, uh, drew and quartered, him. drew and quartered him, which mm-hmm. means, which is what we're, was happening here, which is to pull out someone's intestines, yeah. And quartering is to rip them into four pieces. So I mean, it is, yeah, it is so crazy to me that what humans are capable of. Well, and it was a spectator sport. Like, yeah. hey, there's going to be a drawing and quartering. Let's go see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, he is gasping as horrible things, and we're watching his face, and the judge is going, "It can all end." <laughs> Right now, please, please, just say it, cry out, mercy. And Mel's pain acting is... Oh, incredible. Incredible. No one's better at it. No one. And the reactions from Stephen and Hamish, and the reactions from the crowd who was bloodthirsty before, and now starts to go, mercy. Yeah. Mercy. And they're chanting mercy, and the prince and the king hear it, and the princess hears it, and even Robert the Bruce, way in Edinburgh, is sort of hearing this. And there's this musical build, and there's a great shot of Mel with those piercing blue eyes, and the judge says, just say mercy. And Hamish says, say mercy, and Stephen says, say mercy. Mercy. And the judge says, The prisoner wishes to say a word. There's a silence, and there's a long pause, and there's a breath, and there's a building of tension and an inhale, and he looks up, and then we get freedom. Freedom! Loud and long. But apparently, so long, by the way, that this is uh, audio magic. Oh. Is that this is multiple takes <laughs> strung together to get this like incredibly long freedom. Which really works. It is amazing. Literally 
the definition of a last gasp. Like it's all out after that. It is his soul yes. escaping. Mm-hmm. Every bit of his energy and passion, every piece of strength yeah. goes out in this word. And it's so it's one of those things where I've seen the movie. Mm-hmm. I know it's coming. Right. I'm still weeping. Mm-hmm. It just is so profound. And the word, and of course it goes out in all of the characters we've talked about, hear it, including, I mean, like, uh, Edward, his eyes open up. Do you think he dies in this moment? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, in the movie. In the movie. No, right. he died two years later. <laughs> yeah, right. But, exactly. But in the movie, it seems like he died. I mean, like, it echoes all the way up to yeah. Scotland. Like, yeah. the whole, it is so powerful. The whole world hears it mm-hmm. in this moment. And Hamish and Stephen react, and the princess react, and the crowd is stunned, and the judge shakes his head and nods to the executioner which is sort of the opposite of what should happen because he should continue to torture him he shouldn't execute him now he didn't say mercy um the music is great and we're in this slow motion and mel william wallace turns his head and looks into the crowd and there, standing but moving behind hamish and stephen is his wife yeah mara yeah and they they handle it so simply Mm -hmm. again we're in that simple slow motion movement that we've seen throughout the film yeah and we hear the music and there's slow motion of the axe lifting up and robert looks up in prayer back in edinburgh and william looks at his wife and the princess bows her head and the axe comes down to his neck and then it goes back up and we see the axe coming down and we see that shot of below his hand with blue sky up above and his fingers open up and that piece of fabric that came from so long ago slowly falls to the ground. The religious overtones in this uh, torture, you know, it's Jesus Christ. Absolutely. He's lying on a slab that's essentially a cross with his arms out like that. Uh, And the shot from below of the dropping of Mara's thing is... you is totally out of King of Kings or Ben-Hur or, and I think yes. this is, I think the scene, this shot is his homage to those kinds of films. That's my belief because it's very, it's very influenced by these old school religious epics that were classics from the fifties and sixties. It's such a great, great shot, Steve. It's well, and it's funny, like, you know, I'm not religious. Right. right. All this stuff works on me mm-hmm. because it should. Because that's why it exists. It exists because it works. Right. Like these 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 imagery that have been repeated and repeated and revisited and revisited exist because they're so powerful. Yeah. And the idea of the hero sacrificing himself for his beliefs and in the midst of torture, crying out, you know, what he cares about most. I mean, come on. Yeah. And of course, what is both the truth in reality and the truth in the film is that William Wallace's body was cut into four pieces and they sent those four pieces to the four corners of, of the English empire at that time. They hung his head up on London bridge to rot as an example to everyone of like, this is what happens when you fight against England. And of course that is exactly what did happen to William Wallace's body. And now we have these two armies facing each other and we see Robert the Bruce, um, and the implication is that Robert the Bruce has done nothing right. this whole time. This is like, thir- I think this is now in 1314. Mm-hmm. So this is nine years after William Wallace's death. Mm-hmm. That is not true at all. For those nine years, Robert the Bruce was 
really battling against Edward Longshanks. Mm. So the idea he really, and, and was quite a good strategist in general on his own. Mm -hmm. The way the, this movie frames it is that he has been kind of doing nothing and that this is the moment where he's going to turn. And that's that does him a real disservice. Yeah. Um, and we're over with the English and one of the English generals or lords says, I hope you wash your ass this morning. It's about to be kissed by a king. Mm -hmm. Because what this is about is essentially surrendering. You're right. You know, and... Bruce, Robert the Bruce, for some reason, has this fabric somehow made it back to him. Um, and he looks back at Hamish and Stephen. And the other lord turns to Robert the Bruce and says, let's get it over with. And they start to ride forward. And then he stops. And then he looks over at the soldier. And Hamish and Stephen look at him. And it's almost as if the Bruce grows in his saddle. Mm -hmm. he's, he's been slumped this whole time. And now he straightens us up like the spirit of William Wallace, mm -hmm. this person he's idolized, has finally entered into him. And he says, You have bled with Wallace! Now bleed with me! And there is a reaction from the Lord of just, the other Lord of just. Oh, I roll. Crap. <laughs> Shit. Um, and Hamish draws that big fucking sword and he throws it and it goes in slow motion across the sky. <laughs> ah! And it's just beautiful and it slams into the ground. As Robert the Bruce's draws the sword and they start to chant. Wallace, Wallace, Wallace. And there is a great shot of the soldiers charging in slow motion. And the reaction for the English general is just, oh, oh shit. shit. Right, right. Um, and then we hear in the year of our Lord. In the year of our Lord, 1314. Patriots of Scotland, starving and outnumbered, charged the fields of Bannockburn. They fought like warrior poets. They fought like Scotsmen and won their freedom. Great. Is that true? No. Okay. Well, because it was a, it was it was not like we were about to surrender and then we just charged. What it implies is is that it was uh, rage and and the surprise attack that won it, as opposed to a really really well planned bat battle mm -hmm. on the part of Robert the Bruce that won the day. There you go. Um, does that mean it's not a great scene? No. Totally great scene. Right. Uh, and we've reached the end of Braveheart. Oh. Uh, it, it earned $210 million. It was, this surprised me. Mm -hmm. It was the only the 13th highest grossing film of 1995. Oh, wow. I thought it was a much bigger hit. I mean, I think it is. For a three-hour movie. It's a three-hour movie. To me, 13th is all right. It was nominated for Best Picture, Director, Screenplay, Cinematography, Costume, Sound, Sound Effects, uh, editing, makeup, and the score. Mm -hmm. um, it won for picture, director, cinematography, sound effects, editing, and makeup. So it won a lot. That score should have won. Totally. Should. Well, I don't know what I don't know what, what in its place. I tell you what the other best picture. I don't care what was in its place. Want to hear what the other best pictures <laughs> sure. were that year? Because sure. it's a weird year. It is. So Apollo thirteen, right? Babe, yeah, Babe. Il Postino and Sense and Sensibility. The, the right film one. I totally agree. And by the way, people forget about Il Postino. I will say real quickly, if you've never seen Il Postino, 
You should watch it. I've never seen it. It's Amelie. And people love Amelie. People love like Water for Chocolate. Il Postino is a fantastic Italian romantic uh, film about a, a romance between these two people. And it is beautiful. A beautiful romantic film. Another, other two, and funny. Two, two other movies from that year are 12 Monkeys. Oh, yeah. Which I like a lot. Yes. And Usual Suspects, which I like less as time goes on. Oh, that's funny. But I loved it at the time. Right. Absolutely loved it. It's interesting how many people involved in that movie yeah. are now uncomfortable um, to be talked about. It's fair. That's actually a really good point. Um, and uh, I just found out that there is a sequel in the works. For? For Braveheart. What? Starring Agnes McFadden as Robert the Bruce. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. It's it's in post-production right now. It's been shot. What? Yeah. No. Yes. I, I looked it up. That can't be real. Um, two other things I wanted to... Uh, look it up on the end, <laughs> Good, yeah. Uh, two other things I wanted to bring up is that uh, tourism in Scotland has gone way up, oh, and sure. people come to see William Wallace-specific things, and that... It really has been, and this is where it kind of is so interesting, is that it's really been a, in the, you know, there was, in 2014, I think, there was the referendum on Scottish independence. Right. And they're quoting Braveheart. You know, so even though it's not an accurate film, yeah, they are quoting, Braveheart has gone into the whole uh, idea of Scottish independence. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're right. I know I'm right. That's I insane. I can't imagine. I don't know what they're going to do. Jared Harris is in this thing. Melora Walters. This is fascinating. I didn't know this existed. I didn't. I didn't either. Well, the Outlaw King already exists. What are we going to get out of this? Fascinating. I I think the idea of doing the Outlaw King, a real story about Robert the Bruce, mm. makes total sense. To do it with the character that was in the movie Braveheart, <laughs> where they totally disrespected Robert the Bruce <laughs> and call it a sequel. I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they're just trying to make up for what happened before. It's very odd. All right, anyway. Um, John. Yes. I have a question for you. Yes? We've gone a long time. We have. Do you have final thoughts on Braveheart? Oh, absolutely. Listen, this film, uh, I will say this. When I first saw the film and first, uh, uh, I had this film in the VHS format, which was two separate VHSs. Right. And then eventually the DVD format. And I kind of fell out of love with the movie for a period of time in the 2000s. Hmm. Uh, and I will credit my uh, co-host, Matt Nost, on the top 10. He kind of slowly talked me back into the movie. And over the last two years, I've be I've fallen back in love with this movie and enjoy it thoroughly. And the reason is because this is a very important story to tell. Yes, is the accuracy off? Absolutely. But this idea of one man from uh, poor beginnings fighting for freedom and for um and establishing something that is good for a country to establish freedom so they're able to live their lives as they see fit and not have to be under the rule of anything uh is incredible plus there's so many great concepts in this movie that people can hold on to to aspire to be better than they are or to want to achieve that uh, in their pursuit of bettering themselves as human beings. This idea of serving the people, not serving yourself. This idea of serving a greater cause over yourself. And also love, something powerful to drive you to do the right thing or the principled thing. And all of that is in this movie, along with great humor at certain moments, phenomenal battles 
And if you're a first-time director or if you're an actor who wants to be a director, take a look at this movie and look what Mel was able to do in the second film. To such an, The scope of this film is incredible for a second film from a actor turned director um the score is phenomenal the f- performances all still hold up and it inspires me every time when i watch it now all back over again about doing something better to change the world for, to a better place doing something to change the world into a better place so i know that we have spent a fair amount of time pointing out a lot of things that are wrong with sure, this film sure and inaccuracy inaccurate right and there are also sequences within it, particularly uh, Robert the Bruce and his dad, mm-hmm. and and the uh, the gay the treatment of the gay prince, where I have problems with it. Mm-hmm. But the primary job of a movie is actually not to deliver historical facts, and I don't even think that you know we've talked about this idea uh, a few times of a perfect film. Right. This is not a perfect film. I think it's a great film. Yes. Despite all the inaccuracies and despite the scenes that I have real issues with, when this film is working, it is working so well and so profoundly. And I'm so 100% involved in the story of William Wallace and Hamish and Stephen and his wife and the battles and the war. And I am in. And so I agree with you. I think uh, despite anything we might want to say about Mel Gibson, and there's a lot to say. Sure. This is a real director. Yeah. Like the craftsmanship, you know, that you see throughout all of his films where you, where it's just so well put together. He understands story, understands camera, he understands actors, and he understands how to use all those things to create emotional moments. And there are so many profound emotional moments in this film. Yeah. Col- you know, climaxing with the ultimate crying out of the word freedom, yeah. which will echo through cinema history forever, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So that's what we think of Braveheart. Of course, we always want to hear what you think. Please visit us on our Facebook page. Just do a search for The Cinephiles. You can leave reviews for us on iTunes where we would love you to subscribe. If you're not on uh, Apple device, then subscribe on Spotify or YouTube or Stitcher or TuneIn or a whole bunch of other places. If you want to buy Braveheart or any other movie that we've ever reviewed, take a visit at cinephiles.net. In fact, I think you should do all your Amazon shopping there. Click on a Cinephiles Amazon link and then go buy that really expensive TV, a new refrigerator, anything really expensive. Do it through cinephiles.net. You love the Cinephiles, right? Right. Do it there. (laughs) Um, And after that, you might want to take a trip over to patreon.com slash the cinephiles where we could support your show. The show as little as a dollar a month is a huge help to the show. Yeah. We really appreciate it. That's 25 cents per episode. Mm-hmm. That is a good deal. Absolutely. And if you look at this thing real quick, Steve, what you're saying about, you know, you all have commented so many times how this is like a film school for you all. Take a look at that. Look inside yourself. So like, oh, well, how... Can, how can I help this uh, uh, program keep going? And there are so many people who've already stepped up uh, and like d- uh, like supported us and financially with through the Patreon and love what we're doing. And you know we can't th- thank those people enough. If that's a, if that's occurring to you, that's inside you at some point. Take a look at that again because I, I think we we want to get to that next level as a podcast and uh, appeal to m- way more people than we're appealing now. And, and after that, I think you might want to follow me on Twitter at SR Morris. Follow me on Instagram at SR Morris One. John, where would you like me yes, to follow you? Yes, you can follow me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, 
Thanks, uh, everyone, for uh, the amazing comments you leave for both of us because they really inspire us to keep coming together and doing these films. And it's been a great 2019 so far. I look forward to seeing what other films our fans uh, suggest and ask us to take a look at because we have, what, five who suggested that we look at yeah. this one. So I'm I'm looking forward to see what other big films we take we tackle as we go forward in 2019. And you will find out what film we tackle next next week on The Cinephiles. <laughs>